This episode of the Retail Oasis Retail Wrap-Up Podcast is proudly brought to you by Afterpay. Bye now, pay later. Welcome to the Retail Oasis Retail Wrap-Up Podcast for 2021. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this was recorded, the Guyamagal people of the Eora Nation. I acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. In today's episode, we talk to Blaze Whitnish, the Chief Growth and Innovation Officer at FunLab. FunLab are Australia's preeminent leader in hospitality-driven entertainment, dedicated to the creation, operation, management and development of entertainment concepts across Australia, New Zealand and Singapore. The privately held company is the umbrella to Strike Bowling Bar, Sky Zone Trampoline Park, Holly Moly Golf Club, Archie Brothers, Be Lucky and Sons, Duke's Karaoke, Red Herring Escape Rooms, plus four new concepts currently in the work to be released in 2022. During our conversation with Blaze, we discuss what the FunLab team have been up to during the multiple lockdowns of 2020 and 2021, and how they use their downtime to grow, innovate, and plan out their future strategy. Blaze also talks about the business's sale to private equity firm TPG, the timing of the sale, and how this changed the business. Blaze also discusses how consumers are moving towards experiences over things, and how FunLab plans on utilizing this shift once businesses can reopen. Plus, we talk about the partnership with US TV hit show Holly Moly and how this opportunity came about and, of course, what's next for FunLab. For more information on FunLab or our guest today, please see the show notes for this episode. Thank you to our guest, Blaze Whitnish, for joining us. We hope you enjoy this conversation. First of all, welcome to the podcast, Blaze. It's so lovely to have you. Um, I'd love if you could start by explaining who FunLab are and what your role is there. Yeah, thanks. And thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Um, really simply, you know, FunLab, um, which started, we're nearly turning 20, by the way. Um, but FunLab's really an entertainment platform company. And, you know, we really create places and spaces for people to connect socially and create, you know, what we, what we try and do is memorable experiences. Um, and, you know, you can't, you can't do it online, um, what, we, what we provide. Um, you can't stream it. You have to do it in person. Um, and so you can imagine the last couple of years for us has been very interesting. <laughs> Beyond. Beyond. <laughs> yes. I'm, so, sure we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into that later. But, yes, that, that, that's Fun Lab in a nutshell. Well, in actual fact, it's almost the first question I want to ask. So as a business whose existence is based on entertainment, and I love this thing about places and spaces creating memorable experiences, but as a business that is based on experiences, the last two years must have been more than challenging. Can you talk to us first about 20, 2020 and the impacts that went on there and what changed at FunLab and how did you adapt or pivot? Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, you know, the first thing you've got to take your mind back, it's been long, hasn't it? Um, yeah. And look, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, March 20, I can't remember the date now, but March 2020 and, and um, you know, Michael Schreiber, our CEO, who's, you know, and also the founder, an amazing man, um, you know, standing at the front of our support office um, and all of us with tears in our eyes to say that every single venue will be shut um, and we don't know what the future holds. Um and then I guess forward forward that um, and, you know, the week or two later, picking yourself literally up off the floor 
Um, and we're, we're optimistic. Our companies really like, we're innovative and we always generally at the heart of it see the positive. And so, you know, just seeing a company rally around the, the prospect of COVID, the unknown, and then what could we do? How, how, what role do we play? Um, definitely looking at the international trends around, you know, people staying to work from home, um, people desperate to connect, um, obviously mental health being a big, you know, topic of conversation. Um, and then, you know, different, different um, people in the business starting to idealize, myself being included in that. What was really amazing was the staff group um, and some key leaders in the staff group right at the forefront decided to create a calendar of events for our people. Um, and that, that was anything from um, our head chef doing a cooking course to we have an amazing guy who builds escape rooms in our business to creating the most amazing trivia um, right through to we created a concept called Fun Olympics which basically is um, uh, using ridiculous uh, products in your home and you create teams. And so actually out of it, out of kind of wanting our t- people to stay connected because really people at FunLab is, is what the, how the business ticks and watching them create this want and need to still hold together actually formed a lot of the ideation um, of some of the things we did in, in lockdown in 2020. And I'll go into that, I guess, a little bit further. So from that, what we noticed was in these fun Olympics, which was the staff group getting online on Zoom chats, all doing uh, yoga classes from a mate who knows how to do yoga, whatever it was on this calendar of events, what we started to notice was other people living in our houses wanting to join us. <laughs> so I went and lived with my brother because I'm a single mom. I live with my brother and his three kids. And so they've got a big family. And they started to join all of my fun lab activities. And so what, what we're seeing, what we were seeing was this huge, enormous trend for this need to virtually connect. And so we built, uh, and also kids parties. So my niece and uh, nieces and nephews didn't get their birthday parties and the kids being devastated. So we saw what we were doing with our own teams and realised that other teams and other people needed it. They needed this connection, even though it wasn't physical. So we started virtual parties. Uh, both for adults and kids. Uh, we had an amazing group build the actual products. So we built um, some amazing virtual products. We built not just trivia, um, we bought, uh, built a game show and actually had um, an amazing game show um, host um, actually voice do the voiceovers. Um, I'll remember his name in a minute. Um, we, had, we built um, this Survivor game. Um, all through our own people, our own innovative people, um, people that could code. Uh, then we had all these hosts, all these casual staff that weren't employed that needed to earn money, started to be employed. And, and, and companies, I think we did something like 460 virtual corporate events. Um, we then decided to do kids' parties for free. We wanted to give back. And so we would do these 30-minute fun dancing, drawing um, singing happy birthday with kids, um, anybody and anyone could book it. And so our hosts um, under JobKeeper really came to the party on that and gave up their time, um, you know, to bring joy to kids for their birthdays. And so virtual events was a huge innovation for us. Um, and I guess, you know, the typical word, and I can't stand it anymore, but pivot. Um, as, we were, as we were watching what was happening, global trends, um, and then, you know, working from home, what does that look like? And does virtual events become a part of our actual forever offering? You know, because 
corporates aren't potentially ever going to come back to a CBD corporate base in a five-day working week. Yeah. That's kind of one of the, one of the big innovation um, elements that came off it. And then, of course, you know, we, we're all sitting around watching and we've all become obsessed with receiving things in mail. Like even, I mean, we're still in COVID, so still get excited, even the old odd letter with my name on it, let alone, you know, the Australia Post fan, you know, toot, tooting in your driveway has got a whole other level of excitement for all of us. And so we started watching um, subscriptions, the subscription model really take off, but definitely in-home delivery. And so we definitely did a huge piece of research um, in the first few weeks of COVID around, could we pull off fun in a box? Could that become a part of our offering where, you know, you could have a different fun box arrive at your house every month and that, you know, could be become a, a range of things. The, the model for us from a business perspective just didn't stack when you actually started really getting into the degree and, and the pivot was probably too far just from a supply chain and a range of a range of things. So, but what we did come out of it was fun pass. And so we launched fun pass, which is basically a three month, six month or 12 month subscription to fun. And you get access to any of our brands unlimited and you get to take a guest. And there was two things we did here. One was we needed to generate lots of revenue really quickly because we hadn't had any. Um, and so getting people to sign up to a $500, $1,000, $100 um, from an um, ATV perspective had huge value. And um, we also knew it was a good way for us to launch coming out of um, COVID in a number of months. So it was basically pre-sale revenue, if that makes sense. Um, we had the downtime and the team to work on the digital component of that with our um, external partners, Merkel, who are amazing. And so FunLab, uh, FunPass became um, a huge part of our business and now potentially becomes, you know, a, a, another element where the subscriptions will be more weekly than they are monthly and we got lots of learnings out of it. So FunPass was a whole other huge innovation that came out of COVID. Um, we decided that from a food perspective, we weren't going to have individual venues across the number of brands. Um, we had a, we just had, we had time to really assess. Um, so we wanted to create one brand. Um, we went into Uber Eats. We launched two elements and sort of became our own dark kitchens. If you knew that they became a huge part as we're looking at global trends, we created our own dark kitchens. Um, we created brands within that that were slightly different and had slightly different offerings. And so created a whole new revenue stream we didn't even know. And we made our, obviously, kitchens way more efficient, way more productive, um, which is really exciting. We launched our, um, a food brand called Rando Sandos, which then became the, own, the, the, the internal brand within all of our existing brands. So it was just smarter, if that makes sense. You have one menu. You only innovate one menu every year. Um, it looks like a brand within a brand or it looks like we've used an external kind of cool concept and brought it in-house. You know, I, I could probably, I don't know if you want me to stop. Oh, I have so much to talk about in regards to how we pivoted and, and what we tried and, and tested in that time. Um, and some of it and a lot of it remains today and stays really, really relevant. Well, I mean, it's kind of nice. You've painted this picture and, I mean, it doesn't sound like you guys were sitting around at all. You were still busy, still functional. Oh, my, oh my God, no. I mean, no. It was like it was like going to war and it was like where's the corporals, the sergeants, all of the soldiers, um, yeah. and it was just this, the, the vibe after, I guess, the grief had passed of the first couple of weeks of people picking themselves off the floor, there was this, you know, we have 1,600, you know, team members, uh, what we call mother funners at, at Fun Lab. <laughs> um, 
And the mother funners just, oh, you've never seen a team, a troop rally together like it. And everyone and anyone was prepared to do whatever it took to actually survive, um, let alone anything else. It was just about surviving because there's this true inner belief, I, I think, in our business that we know if our doors are open, you know, we are, we will be successful. Yeah. So it was about just getting through it. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, you just spoke about a huge list of different things that you did last year and, you know, things that you launched while in lockdown, you know, all of your corporate events, your free kids parties, Rando Sando's dark kitchens. So you obviously had a wealth of their knowledge on the back of that so that when we, of course, 2021 came around and we end up back in lockdown, how did that experience like help you for 2021? Like how did it prepare you or is this an, is this a different beast? I think it's I do I think it does prepare you somewhat. Um, I think it is a different beast um, because you've got some states open, some states closed. Um, you have a bit more of the known. So you do know what happens when you come out. And so you've got to really prepare for that too. I think most of hospitality, retail, um, a lot of us, you know, unbeknownst last, last year got caught out in terms of labour, um, you know, people having shifted different um, to different sectors during that process. And so, you know, we all came out and probably struggled a bit just to try and open the doors and serve guests at, and serve, you know, we're in the service industry. So for us serving guests, you know, guests are our absolute focus. And so when you're like struggling to get people to fill rosters, you know, it's devastating, you know, because you, you're trying to just serve the guests at 130%. And so I think those learnings are huge this time around and probably not cutting off, you know, trying to do too much. We've kind of gone from survival into, okay, let's make really smart decisions that will have really big impact because we know the doors open. The doors do reopen. And so it's a real shift this time around. Everyone knows the doors will reopen. I think, you know, 2020, it was like, are the doors ever going to open? Um, and so it's a very, very different mindset and a very, very different focus on, you know, where you're putting your resource time and, and capital. So the difference between being scared in 2020 and just uh, frustrated in 21. <laughs> Literally frustrated and then going, okay, how do we use this time really smartly? Um, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it a bit more, but we were obviously acquired, you know, at the most craziest time, November, December, you know, I know you want to talk about it, 2020, you know, TPG. My very know. question. About? I mean, so here you are just popping back out, getting back into business, and all of a sudden there you are. I mean, you've now got a new owner, TPG, December 20. I mean, that must have been quite extraordinary to have gone through all that closure in March, April, May, June, sort of reopening, a lot of uncertainty in the market, and then bango, a new owner in December 2020. So talk to us about how that happened and the timing and uh, how this is changing the business. Yeah, I mean, you know, super exciting. You know, um, you know, this time last year, um, you know, we were in that mode, right? Some stores open, most not, lots of unknowns, um, in survival, testing, trialing. And in fairness, we've been really lucky. You know, the private equity um, groups that, that have been partnered with us have been pretty phenomenal. So our last private equity firm, Next Capital, were amazing and really backed all the testing and trialing at a time when, you know, cash is king. 
um, and and they really allowed us to go for it. Um, you know, and then you know there was a venue management conference last year, and, and Mike decided that the um, topic was uh, Phoenix Rise from the Ashes. And so there's this, it really kind of culminated this inner belief that FunLab was going to go from like doors locked to a whole nother level. Yeah. And the conference was really about that. Um, innovation, growth, where we can go, how we're going to move on, how we're going to conquer. Um, and I think that was just probably really pivotal because, um, you know, Michael, of course, you know, stayed networked, um, you know, didn't didn't give up the belief that we it was time for us to partner with the next iteration of the next level of private equity. <clears throat> and I think he, <clears throat> even when we were half closed, I think he still believed that and knew that we, you know, we would come out and have like for like growth like we had probably even more so. And it could be a phenomenal time for the right partner to come on board. And look, I think through a number of conversations and probably serendipitous moments um, for Michael, you know, he was introduced to um, the key players at, at TPG. And, you know, within, I think, you know, an hour and a half meeting, the the ball got rolling, but it was probably one of the fastest acquisitions on record. Um, I think that first meeting took place in November and, you know, we were signing papers in December. Yeah. So a phenomenal um, effort, I think, by both companies, um, and in particular with TPG, just being really focused and knowing and having the belief um, and obviously the research that, that FunLab was a, you know, a phenomenal business for them to, to back and partner with. So a bit more specifically, how has things changed since TPG got involved last December? Yeah, I think there's a. I think with the the level of a TPG, just in terms of the enormity, you know, being in you know what's called the top five private equity firms in the world, I think you grow up a bit. I think that's the first yeah. thing, um, <laughs> and in, in a good way. Um, I think you know there's a level of expectation, um, but there's also the, the the level of resource and support in in amongst that expectation, um, where you know you really can see us going to a whole other level. I think the biggest thing is they're supportive. I think there's a real sense and, you know, obviously different people have different, you know, experiences with private equity. But I can honestly say um, with TPG, I think it's just more supportive. They're completely aligned to the vision and think when you're aligned, like any partner, it could be a partner in life, your wife, your children. When you're aligned like that and you both have a similar vision and a real belief, then you kind of can make anything happen. And I think the exciting part for us, even though the journey's early, is that we genuinely believe, you know, FunLab is going to go to a whole nother level um, in the coming years. And it almost feels like, okay, so now you're playing in the big league. Does that mean that the brand then matures as well and, and perhaps that opens new doors, new avenues, new areas for growth? Yeah, big time. I think, you know, if you take us back, we were a bowling bowling um, concept up until sort of 2023, uh, 2013. And so we've gone from like one brand of strike in 2013 and then, you know, seven, eight years later, we now have, I think we have seven brands um, and we have three new brands in the background that we're going to be launching. So, yeah, really, you know, you know, so we've, we really are an entertainment platform company um, and yeah, very, very excited where fun lab's going to go and then you know how does 
the fun lab brand from a from a b to c um you know get positioned and and known within australia i think you know that's really exciting and then what what are the most relevant brands and what are those brands you're going to see a lot more of um you know in the next next few years and i think you know, that's what I, I get to really work on. And I know I didn't talk about my title, but growth's a big part of that. And, you know, we've been given a really big remit, you know, a really big remit and a really big um, goal and the support to do it, which is, you know, how do you literally double yourself from a footprint perspective in the next three to four years? And that for us is just, you know, unbelievably exciting around, you know, what brands, um, you know, what what territories, what regions. Um, so, yeah, super exciting times for us and for Fun Lab. Definitely. And something that was really exciting, particularly um, just I think we all watched everything that was already on TV last year and then to have something new come on television, of course, we saw um, on the 1st of February this year uh, the US hit show Holy Moly hit our screens. Um, can you tell us how that opportunity came about and was, I mean, it felt really successful. I felt like so many people were talking about it. You know, please tell us more. Yeah, look, it's a it's a long story, the Holy Moly one, but but basically in a nutshell, we we share the name, if that makes sense, um, with a with a production company based here, uh, based in Sydney, I should say. And um, look, we just get to both have the same name, if that makes sense. But by chance, it kind of really works. Um, you know, obviously Channel 7, um, you know, bought the rights to, you know, to, to have the show and produce the show. Um, and it's just, look, it's an amazing opportunity because from a branding perspective, from a name perspective, um, you know, they go hand in hand. It's like, a, it's like the wipeout of mini golf um, of kind of what we do. So it takes, it takes what we do, um, you know, to an enormous sort of level, both from a media perspective and then from a size and experience perspective. And I think, you know, for us, it probably opened up the Holy Moly brand to a younger demographic. Um, we'd, we'd really positioned the Holy Moly brand at an 18 to 35-year-old um, demographic. And I think the TV show really brought it to all ages, which for us was really exciting because we got to, to tap into that younger younger uh, group. Yeah, amazing. I mean, uh, what, a, what a great opportunity yeah. to, to leverage and create um, just so much business success. And it was just for so both funny. you and for them. Yeah, <laughs> just extraordinary. So um, uh, it's really become apparent in the last 18 months that we've all become, our behaviour has changed so massively. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck at home and all we really drive and seek out is experiences. And it's certainly younger demographics once we move into post-millennials into Zs and alphas, I mean, it's all about things. It's all about not things. It's all about the experience. So do you think this trend um, is sort of something which you'll back on back the consumers with and think about how, you, how that might drive your reopening programs? Yeah, definitely. I look, first of all, look at, look at any of the, you know, trend reports, global trends, you know, this experience over things across all of those, um, all, all the groups, millennials, annuals, um, you know, it's just a huge, it's a huge tailwind for us. You yeah. know, we definitely see it when we reopen, um, obviously, because people are, are, are desperate to, to socialise and to have those unique experiences. Um, but I think where where you're you know where we're really well positioned is that you know we're not a bowling alley in a mini golf place you know we the detail and the retail the focus on 
every component of that guest journey is so thought out. You know, there's so many backstories that are written around the brands and how they've come about. So that detail is the whole way through, you know, from arrival through to exit, but then everything in between. Um, I really feel like we're just really well positioned to take uh, not so much advantage, but just really enjoy the upside of, of people you know, really seeking those unique experiences. Um, and FunLab really, you know, is poised and positioned to, to enjoy that. Enjoy, enjoy the demand. There certainly is a huge amount of pent-up demand. And a lot of the different retailers we've been talking to are looking forward with an enormous amount of expectation to um, the next three months, if you like, that, that uh, critical retail sales period. Um, but all of them have a... A level of concern is because they, they believe that maybe the next two to three months they can make up for what business they didn't get in the first three months. But from a load point of view in securing that type of growth and supporting that type of growth is an incredible challenge. So is that sort of what you're thinking as well? And if so, how do you think you can take advantage of that massive pent-up demand? I mean, there's going to be a lot of prospective existing, past and new consumers in the market. And uh, could be could be quite um, frantic, I guess, in the amount of um, uh, consumers you've got visiting your different um, entertainment centres or precincts. Yeah, I think that, you know, the people, the people part for any any business, be it retail, entertainment, hospitality, is is you, you know, they are your most um, they're your greatest asset. And so, you know, when, when we're all looking at, you know, that pent-up demand, um, you know, for the bricks and mortar or the in-person service and experience, it's going to be making sure that you have really looked after your people in this time. Wow. And, you know, you, from a retention acquisition perspective, you know, you need to be on the front foot. You need to be super proactive. Um, and you need to, you know, if you've got a culture of looking after people, they look after you um, and they look after your guests. And I think that's going to be fundamentally um, the most critical, you know, factor in the next few months with the pent-up demand. It doesn't matter, you know, what company um, or brand you talk to. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Just yeah. coping and having... It's actually, it's actually right. coping. And then, you know, to your point, stepping into the space, you know, how are you going to capture, you know, potential um, market share opportunity? You know, how are you going to market? Um, you know, how are you looking after your consumer? Uh, both, you know, online, in venue, what, what does that look like? Um, and, yeah, grabbing it by two hands. But if you can't actually serve the guest, uh, mm. meaning you don't have the team, you know, that's got to be your first priority. Yeah, yeah <laughs> true. absolutely. Um, you touched on it slightly before talking about three brands potentially in the works. Can you talk to us about what's next for FunLab or what do you have in the pipeline? Yeah, I'm really excited because, again, I know I didn't say my title, but I get to do growth and innovation now. So I'm pretty, you know, everyone goes, that's the most amazing job. And it, and it's pretty, it is pretty exciting. Um, but we've, I mean, we've been in innovation. We've been innovating our company for 20 years since we since we started. So, you know, it's a part of our DNA. Um, I just get to really focus on it. But we've got three new brands coming out, um, you know, highly experiential. So really playing, as you said, you know, how you're taking advantage. All three new brands really... Um, take that to another level. Uh, we're going to be bringing out electronic augmented darts concept. Um, wow. I won't give you the name just yet. We're going to be bringing out an enclosed room um, 
concept that's just it's it's just beyond other than I can't that's all I want to give you right now and then the third brand um is actually taking VR to another level oh and and really coupling I guess VR with um you know artainment and you know we, we've already always looked into that space a bit so some three big brands will be emerging in the next 12 months um you know, just, again, really excited to bring them to market. So, again, you know, we've been using this downtime, obviously, um, you know, p- pulling together those three brands, which, as I said, will all come to market in the next 12 months. And it, and it feels like because we did 2020, well, we had no idea what was happening and then we came out of it and we were like, oh, we're sweet. And then 21 happened and we did lockdown and now everyone's getting vaccinated. It kind of feels like the plans that we're making now are actually going to happen and come into fruition and we're actually going to get to them because we're vaccinated. So it feels like there's a real hurdle and there's no more after that. And it feels like things are possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, from from our perspective, you know, having a real like light at the end of the tunnel where it's, you know, you, you hit these percentages and you get, you know, you get to open your doors and you get to open your doors to these capacities and a real roadmap allows you to plan and, and get excited for the future of, of which we are. And, yeah, we just can't wait. Yes, us so, too. <laughs> so our second last question, one we plan on asking everyone this year, and it's a personal question. We're asking you specifically. Mm-hmm. Buying in-store online, what's your preference and why? Look, I'm an in-store and I am I I call myself a millennial. I'm really on the cusp. I don't even know if I can technically. I think I can. I'm 1981, so I think I just scrape in there. Yes. And I should be a digital native. But, look, I'll be honest, in-store for me, um, I don't know, that the ability to touch and feel it and, you know, you kind of, if, if they get the experience right, there's an added value to the old bricks and mortar, I feel. And so I'm probably a bit more of a, a touch and feel it and, and know that it's the right purchase um, from the get-go is probably my, my go-to. Yeah, cool. I'd have to agree. So our last question, again, is one that we've been asking all of our guests for the last, what, nearly 10 months. Um, what does the future of retail look like to you? Yeah, I love this question because I'm really passionate about it. Um, I think the future of retails, you know, both online and bricks and mortar, I get asked a lot about this, you know, does, does a shopping centre still relevant and, and what's your thoughts? They absolutely are. The reality is bricks and mortar, um, you know, may the, the, the business model may change from, you know, a bottom line perspective. But bricks and mortar is more and more relevant because it really is, that chance for your consumer to touch and feel your brand, to really connect on a physical level, um, not a virtual one. And if you get the experience right, and I'm really passionate about this because so many don't, you can amplify and have people fall in love with your brand on a whole other level. And I do think retailers in particular don't focus enough on that in-store experience literally the detail and the retail um you know the, you look at the likes of you know we talk about mecca and they are they're mega and they're mecca because they're brilliant the experience is phenomenal from the moment you walk up to the space to the moment you leave um and then the online experience becomes an amplica- amplification of that um and so you really create a the the, the i guess a whole cycle of you know, being a brand loyalist um, when you get both right. 
Yeah, I think I've said this a few times, but someone, I think I read it on LinkedIn, but somebody said, you know, omnichannel is where you go in store for your storytelling and loyalty and online is for sales. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you only, you don't have to look at places like, um, oh, there's so many concept stores where you go in and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the craziest experience. It's not even about the product, it's about everything else but the product and then you you're just driven back online to repeat your purchase because you love it so much all back in store exactly i mean look at culture kings yeah kings when you look at the product and no offense to culture kings and then probably have got some specialized product but they don't they've got heaps of other brands in there yeah think about it and you know they just floated for i don't even know how much they floated for i mean culture kings is a perfect example the experience in store is the focus and 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 they've created this phenomenal level of loyalty you know and consumer you know market share around it and, yeah. and you know what just picking up on the point you made a little while ago that experience of culture kings in store is driven so much around their people yeah massive massive you know i'll say this again you know our mother funders are absolutely our greatest asset um, and and they have the ability to make or break an experience, um, and we have the most phenomenal group. We're just you know when I say lucky, we're not lucky. It's just an amazing culture. But our people have built that, um, and and yeah, that's that is fundamentally the most important part of your business. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Retail Oasis Retail Wrap-Up. If you enjoyed the chat, we'd love you to rate and review it. Plus, remember to subscribe and you'll be automatically notified when the next episode airs. If you'd like to learn more about Retail Oasis, please head over to retailoasis.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and TikTok. Yes, we're there too. To support our show, simply tell a friend or send this episode on to someone you know who would appreciate more retail knowledge. And finally, thank you to our sponsor, Afterpay. Bye now, pay later.